who are married. The reality is that when you have not gotten married, whether by choice or because you're waiting, the key is to say, look, this is my opportunity to go crazy for God's kingdom because I can do whatever God asks me to do. Do you realize that? That if you're single, that is a God-given opportunity to do whatever God asks you to do. There are many people in the world who have not yet found their significant other and some who may never find that person. If that describes you, Pastor Daniel doesn't want you to be discouraged today. In fact, we're all reminded today that singleness is an opportunity to jump fully into God and His purpose for us in the kingdom. Use the time you have now to discover God's plan for your life and charge ahead at full speed. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, All in the Family. chapter here, we get one of the justifications for divorce. In Matthew 19, 9, he said, except for sexual immorality. In verse 9, do you see that right there? Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. So one biblical justification for divorce is adultery. Within marriage, when one spouse strays, and defiles the marriage bed. That is a potential justification for divorce. The other reason, if you remember, I told you we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 7. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 7, we get the second, and that second is abandonment. Look at what it says in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 7. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart, a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So there's two biblical justifications for divorce. One, if adultery happens, and two, if a spouse is abandoned by their spouse. Those are the two biblical justifications for divorce. Now, although not in the scriptures, I think it's also fair to say that when there is physical abuse, that that is also a justification because when a spouse is acting so far outside of God's design, you kind of can't hold someone to covenant when their life is in danger because that goes completely against God's heart. So you have to realize marriage is the foundational covenant. Now, divorce is an attempt to try and break that covenant. Jesus says, and it's very provocative, which says this, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. You see that, right? What that teaches us is this, is that what God has joined together, let no one separate, so don't separate it. Don't separate it. I bring 
Every time I've ever done premarital counseling, I bring couples to this verse. I say, you see this right here? If you are a Christian and you are getting married, this says that you, there's no out in this. You are in this for life. You're in this for life. And I think that's important because that's God's design. That's his design. That we are in this committed covenant relationship for life. Why? Because God is in the relationship with you and I for life. That's why. Now, with that being said, I realize that there are all sorts of people who got married and got divorced before they came to know Christ. Right? Now, I want to say to you all, God's grace covers it. And the mistakes that you made before you got saved, God is not going to curse you to a life of singleness because you were outside of Christ and you made a ton of terrible decisions. Okay? So if you made mistakes before you got saved, if you made mistakes before you got saved, receive God's grace. Because God's grace is for you. But if you're here today and you are a Christian and you are contemplating divorce, I am here to tell you that you are in sin. I can't say it any straighter than that. If you are a Christian and there hasn't been these justifiable things and you are contemplating leaving your spouse, then you are in rebellion in your heart against God. And you need to turn from that rebellion to God and say, Lord, I realize that you do not abandon me with my failings and you are patient and long-suffering with me in all the ways that I fall short. And God, give me that same heart for my spouse. And you know what, Lord? In the process, will you give them the same heart for me? Divorce happens because of the hardness of our hearts. And we all know what that's like, don't we? We all struggle with hardness of our hearts. And it's interesting that with this discussion of divorce, the disciples say, man, if that's the case, it's better for us not to get married. <laughs> it's kind of a, I mean, that's in your Bible, a classic statement. They're like, wow, this is seriously for life. Maybe we shouldn't get married. Because they realize the gravity, the seriousness of what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus goes on. Look at these verses now in verse 11. Then he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs. Now that's an old school word for emasculated men who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Wow. They said, look, maybe it's better we don't get married. He said, look, some men were born without the ability. Some men were made that by other men. And there are some who are made that for God's kingdom. And this teaches us this, that celibacy is choosing to forsake marriage for God's covenant. Celibacy is choosing to forsake marriage for God's covenant. Now, celibacy can either be for a lifetime where you choose by God's call not to marry or for a lot of people, 
It's for a season. And that season is called singleness. It's called singleness. Now, I can equate celibacy and singleness because if you are a Christian and you are not married, then there should be no intimate, romantic encounters with people of the opposite sex because God is a pure God. God is a holy God. So if you're here today and you are single, I want to encourage you to realize that right now you are not involved in a marital relationship. And that is for God's glory, for the glory of God's kingdom. And that is not something that you should wish away. I learned this when I got saved, when I was 21 years old, I was holy before I got saved wrong. I was just inappropriate on every level. And when I got saved, God convicted me of my sinfulness. And God said, look, I don't want you to date. I just want you to trust me. And I thought to myself, this makes no sense. But what I realized in the process of struggling with loneliness and really wanting to be married was that singlehood was not a cross to be born, but it was an opportunity to serve God without constraint. And I got this from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you turn there, look at what it says in verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, if you move to verse 32 of the same chapter, The Apostle Paul says this, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, that how he may please his wife. You see that? See, Paul's saying, look, I'm single. If you're unmarried, you should stay as I am. Why? Because when you're single, you don't have to check in with your spouse. You could just do what God would have you do. Now, it's interesting. I think the reason the divorce rate is exploding in America is not because people want to be single for the glory of God, but we're just stinking selfish. And there's nothing worse, and everybody who's married knows what it's like, there's nothing worse when you get your eye on a beautiful custom electric bass (laughs) or an old crusty Volkswagen And you talk to your spouse and you say, hey, you know, I think I should buy a rusted out VW Squareback. And she says, well, what about the kids in that car? And you think to yourself, you're right. Darn. And then you think to yourself, why am I married? I'm speaking hypothetically, of course. But everybody knows what that's like, right? Because when you're married, you have to check in with somebody. You're like, look, I think we should paint the den forest green. They're like, well, I think mauve would be nice. See, marriage is challenging because you have to talk with somebody and you have to make decisions together. And that's why people want to be married until they get married and then they want to get out of it. Because now the idea of it's wonderful, but then when they're in it, 
then there is the reality that two people need to come to a settled decision before God. Now, there are some people who God calls to a lifetime of not getting married. I think of someone like John Stott, who is a great author who I've appreciated. I don't agree with everything he says because he didn't write the Bible, but his books are good. He spent his whole life as a single man and God used it powerfully for his glory. There's other people who God uses powerfully who are married. The reality is that when you have not gotten married, whether by choice or because you're waiting, the key is to say, look, this is my opportunity to go crazy for God's kingdom because I can do whatever God asks me to do. Do you realize that? That if you're single, that is a God-given opportunity to do whatever God asked you to do. So if you're sitting here today and the Lord is like, look, I want you to go be a missionary in North Korea... You can say, all right, I'm selling my stuff. I'm moving to North Korea. If you're married and God says, I want you to be a missionary in North Korea, then you go to your spouse and say, hey, I think God wants us to be missionaries in North Korea. And then you start the process of praying until your spouse comes around. <laughs> if your spouse comes around. So singleness, celibacy is an opportunity to forsake marriage whether for a season or for a lifetime, to focus our hearts on whatever we want to do. No, on God's kingdom, on serving the Lord. I realized as I waited for six years or seven years for God to bring Lynn into my life, that it was a golden opportunity to have a radically cool relationship with God. I realized that my singlehood was a gift. I couldn't imagine the husband I would have been had I not had those seven years of walking with Jesus. It's hard enough. So I want to encourage you, if you're here today and God hasn't blessed you with a spouse and you're waiting, let it be a radical opportunity to grow, to serve God, to do missionary work, to live life radical in Christ Jesus. It's a gift until God gives you another gift. The gift of a spouse. Now, from there, so you see we have, we have marriage, we have divorce, now we have singleness or celibacy. Of course we need to get into the discussion of living together. Cohabitation. Cohabitation is an attempt to play marriage without the covenant. That's what living together is. Cohabitation is an attempt to play marriage without the covenant. Now, I chose those words very specifically. It's an attempt to play marriage without the covenant. I get questions all the time, Pastor Daniel, so what's the big deal if a guy and a gal who aren't married live together? What's the big deal? I mean, come on. I mean, it's the 21st century. And I would say to you, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal because if you are a Christian, then purity is our goal because God is pure. And I have never met in my entire life a man and a woman who are living together outside of marriage who are sexually pure. Not once. Not once physically or in their hearts. So even though we live in a culture, we live in a culture where that is acceptable, that doesn't mean that it's acceptable for the family of God. A scripture for you is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. See, if you're in here today, I'm sure there's people in this congregation or listening online, you love Jesus and you're living together. I'm here to tell you that you are not living together because it's your only option. You're living together because it's the only option you actually wanted to explore. That's why you're doing it. You can get a roommate of the same sex. It's easy. It's easy to do. But you know, and God knows, whether or not I know, the reality is, is that that relationship, you're tainting that relationship by living together because it's as if you're saying, look, yeah, we're playing marriage. We're sharing a bed or we're sharing a house. We're sharing our things. We're sharing a car. We're sharing a checkbook. We're sharing our bodies. But we've never made a lifetime commitment. You ladies, listen to me. I want to exhort you, if you're in that situation or contemplating that situation, I want to exhort you to ask God to give him his vision of who you are. Because you are accepting a downplayed version of who you are. A worldly, a carnal view of yourself. God values you too much for you to see yourself in that way. God's view of you is so much more glorious than what you're allowing yourself to live in. See, God doesn't play covenant. He makes them and he keeps them. And any man, any man, you gals, who loves God will honor you enough to make a lifetime commitment to you. And anything less is insufficient for a daughter of God. So don't play marriage without the covenant. We want to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And we want to encourage you. Some of you, you've been living together. It's time to get married. Let's do that. For some of you, you need to find other roommates. It's easy to do. But let's just not hear it and say, yeah, you're right, pastor. But let's make a change. So marriage, divorce, celibacy, singleness, cohabitation. Finally, family. Family is God's primary vehicle for discipleship. Family is God's primary vehicle for discipleship. Really, all discipleship is the advancement of covenantal living. That's what discipleship is. It is bringing forth into the world what it means to live in covenant with God. And so I want to close with four keys or tips for parenting. Just kind of overarching themes. Now, you all know I have young children. Me and my wife, Lynn, we're at the beginning of the parenting thing. And so I wrote these down and I went into Pastor Bill's office. I said, hey, you know, I know I haven't raised a teenager yet. We're new on the block. We have a seven and a four-year-old. How are these? That's great tips for parenting. And he read him. He's like, oh, Daniel, phenomenal. Great. I'm like, you wouldn't change anything? And he's like, no. He's like, let him ride. So I'm going to let him ride real quick. Four tips. Tip number one, the greatest commandment is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is the greatest commandment. We get this from Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39. 
Parenting tip number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That is the most phenomenal parenting tip in the universe. You, as a parent, you need to love God with all that is within you and love everybody around you. In Jesus' name. Great parenting tip right there. The greatest commandment is the greatest commandment. Second, you love your children the most by loving your spouse. You love your children the most by loving your spouse. That seems strange. So we think, well, I love my children by loving my children. But I would say to you, you love your children the most by loving your spouse. There is nothing that more socially adjusts a child well than seeing a husband and a wife loving on each other. So spare no expense. Love your spouse as Jesus loves the church. Third, tip number three, loving parents lead their children by example. Loving parents lead their children by example. I think of Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Loving parents lead. That's your job. You're not to be their buddies. You're not to be led by them. You're not to let them set the pace. Your job is to lead them by example. Most Christian kids who leave the faith will almost always credit hypocrisy in their believing parents as the reason why they don't believe in Jesus. Now, ultimately, their faith has to be their own. But there's nothing worse than being a holy roller in church and a holy nightmare at home. So you need to lead by example. Parents, if you make a mistake, you go apologize to your kids. And you pray with them and you say, let God's grace cover us. That's why we believe in Jesus, because Abba and Mommy make mistakes. We lead by example, love, peace, kindness, gentleness, graciousness. Loving parents lead by example. And then finally, tip number four, living in grace is caught and taught. Living in grace is is caught and taught. What that means for each one of us is simply this, is that our children will learn the Christian life by what we say and how we live. So we need to teach them the Bible, God's heart with words, with teaching, and we need to let them see a life in grace that is lived out. Does that make sense? Now I'm going to go over these last four tips again. So the four tips for marriage. The greatest commandment is the greatest commandment. Two, you love your children the most by loving your spouse. Three, loving parents lead their children by example. And four, living in grace is caught and taught. Jesus is real. As with many things in the Bible, our relationships can be modeled after Jesus. 
Pastor Daniel reminded us today to look to Jesus for guidance when we encounter trials and to model our lives after him, showing our families and others what it means to be a Christian. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Thanks, Tracy. We also want to encourage every Jesus Is Real radio listener to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. We've purchased time on this radio station, and this message has been professionally produced. This all comes at a cost. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more through the month of August, we'll send you a handmade leather bracelet with the word real on it. This bracelet was designed to be a helpful reminder to pray for Jesus is Real Radio. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner to support Jesus is Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will tackle the controversial topic of a Christian's response to homosexuality. Pastor Daniel will share with us the biblical view, how the gospel applies, and above all else, how love needs to be a factor in the discussion. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled, Really? Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Bye.